truth that we find in your word, truth that is good for us, that is helpful, truth about who we are and who you are, that gives us everything we need to know how to live this life in a way that brings you glory in a way that is for our good. So help us today as we think about, talk about idolatry and what it means, what it is, and why it is so offensive to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, just one question for review. Question 16. Let's read it together. What is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world He created, rebelling against Him by living without reference to Him, not being or doing what He requires in His law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. And this week we have question 17. Let's read it together. And then I'll see if anybody wants to do it from memory. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. Okay, anybody looking for gum today? Question 17. What is idolatry? All right, Titus, stand up. You want to finish chewing your donut or are you good to go? <laughs> All right, Titus, what is idolatry? Ready? You want to catch it? Oh, he, was, he had the sugar on his. He wanted to still lick that off. Good job, Titus. Okay, anyone else? Rod, stand up. Rod, what is idolatry? Nice job. I like the recovery there. Anyone else? Caleb. What is idolatry? Okay, good job. I forgot that it hooks. It doesn't slice. Blaze? Yeah? I think this is the first time a Myers has done it. The pressure's on. What is idolatry? Nice job. Yeah. Blaze, were you aware of what you were doing while you were reciting it? You were like going like this with your hands. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay, great job. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. So the next question. Will God allow our disobedience? Because we've covered that. We are disobedient and sinful. And idolatry, we just covered that, to go unpunished. And let's say the answer together. No. Every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God and against His righteous law. 
And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in his just judgment, both in this life and in the life to come. This is taken from very similar to question 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This was written in the 17th century. The question there is, does God permit such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? And the answer, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, is certainly not. God is terribly angry with the sin we are born with, as well as the sins we personally commit. As a just judge, God will punish them both now and in eternity, having declared, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Let me read you a couple scriptures. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So according to Galatians 3, if you're relying on works of the law, which means you're relying on your ability to keep God's commandments, to work your way to heaven, then the Bible says you're cursed. Because if you break one of them, you break all of them. Deuteronomy 27.26 says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And that's been our condition ever since Genesis chapter 3, right, where we were cursed. So, no, we're told here, every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God, and against His righteous law, and God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in His just judgment, both in this life and in the life to come. So let's go back and look at these. I keep getting these text messages that are coming on my iPad that distract me. I asked Brady a question this morning about my uh, fantasy football lineup. And he's, he's saying, <laughs> yeah, we're playing. So he, say, he keeps sending me updates and I keep having to look them up. Okay, the first part. What does this mean? No, every sin that we commit is against the, and it tells us the sovereignty, the holiness, and the goodness of God. It is against His sovereignty. In other words, when we speak of God's sovereignty, we're, we're speaking of God's rule. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. God is ruler. God is in charge. So when we sin... We are sinning against God as the ruler of the universe. God is holy, which means he's perfect. And God is good. He has been nothing but good to us. And he has given us his law. He's given us his law in the scripture. He's given us the Ten Commandments. He's given us commands through Jesus Christ. When we break his law, 
that dishonors God and it hurts others always. Always when we sin. We dishonor God when we sin. But not only that, you know this. We, we often not only sin against God, we sin against other people. It's not good for others. It hurts others. God is righteously angry about this. That's an important word. Righteously angry. Uh, this isn't God like blowing his staff. This isn't God losing his temper. This isn't God um, uh, not having self-control. This, this isn't uh, God being angry when he has no right to be angry or when he shouldn't be angry. No. The reality is that when we sin against a perfect, good God, it's worthy of his anger. It's wicked. It's wrong. God has been nothing but great and good to us. And so when we are indifferent to him, ignore him, don't do what he tells us to do or do what he tells us not to do. This kindles in God, we're told, anger. It's important we know that he is righteously angry with our sins and he will punish them. And think about it. This is not some overreaction of God. It is good that God punishes sin. If God didn't punish sin, then God wouldn't be just. God wouldn't be a good judge. Imagine that today, if there was a judge in a court of law, and it was clear that before him was someone who had committed awful and terrible crimes, and the evidence had been dragged out, and there was no question in anyone's mind, uh, perhaps they even confessed to the crime, would you call that judge a good judge if he didn't punish that person? If he just let them go? If he just let them walk out the door? Back into society? No, right? You say, that's a, that's a bad judge. That's a wicked judge. That's not a good thing that he's doing. He's endangering people. He's not giving this person what they deserve. Well, the same is true for us. We're all guilty. We're sinners in front of God. Which means we do deserve justice. We do deserve to be punished. And that punishment will come is just judgment both in this life and in the life to come. Which means it doesn't go well here for us when we sin unrepentantly and it sure won't go well in the life to come. So let me read you a bunch of verses. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Maybe read them later. But there's a lot of scripture that supports this question. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So how many times do you die? One time. And after you die, what happens? <laughs> That's right. Judgment. And if you're a believer, you go to heaven. Thanks, Titus. Exodus 34 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now think about what we were just told about God. Okay, the beginning of these two verses is the goodness of God. It, 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 it's saying this, consider who it is that you are sinning against. Consider 
the kind of God that God is that we are sinning against. He is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful. He's keeping steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. So that's the goodness of God. But, but, who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. It's really serious. God takes sin very seriously. So what Exodus 34 is saying, yes, God is good and he's gracious and he's merciful and he's loving and he forgives sin. But don't think that that means right. God is love. Don't think that that means that he is just going to give the guilty a free pass. That's not what it means. We're told. Psalm 5, uh, Psalm 5, 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. You wonder why we can't go to heaven apart from God's grace. We're sinful. We're wicked. We're evil. Evil may not dwell with God. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evil doers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. I don't know about you, but these are frightening verses. Hey, there are, and we just read them. There are so many verses about the love of God. The grace of God. The mercy of God. The forgiveness of God. And. There are so many verses about the justice of God, the anger of God, the wrath of God. Well, let me ask you a question. Which 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 sets of verses describe God? All of them. All of them. All of them. Nahum one two, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. So both true, both true. God is loving. And God is angry over sin. The Bible makes this clear. Bible makes clear that God all the time, 100 percent of the time, is full of love and compassion and grace and mercy. And he is full 100% of the time of wrath and fury and anger. Now, you and I are not capable of that, right? I'm not capable of, of, like de- of delight and happiness and anger and fury at the same time. But I'm created. I'm not the creator. All these emotions, if you will, exist in God at the same time. So God is love. God is merciful. God is gracious. He's also just. 
But our job as best we can is to figure out how these work together. Which is going to become more and more clear. Two more verses. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then listen to this verse. Last one. Proverbs 17.15 He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Think about that. An abomination. A, a thing of disgust. A thing worthy of anger and hatred. An abomination. What's an abomination? So what is an abomination to God? According to Proverbs 17. Someone who justifies wicked people. Remember that judge who lets the wicked person go? That's an abomination to God. Someone who justifies the wicked and someone who condemns the righteous. That's a very interesting verse to read as Christians. Because God says in Proverbs, think about it. God says in Proverbs 17 that it is an abomination to God when wicked people are justified. Now, Christian, who are you? You are a wicked person who has been justified. That sounds like an abomination to God. That's why we need to think. Keep reading God's word. How is that possible? How is it possible for God? I'm guilty. I'm guilty of sin. I'm not a Christian because I'm a, a great person or a better person. I'm a sinner like everyone else. I sin like everyone else. And yet I have been justified. How's that work? Well, you know how it works. And we'll get to that as these questions go on. We're being set up for the good news of Jesus Christ. Someone else pays for our sin so that we may be justified. Okay, let me read to you um, some of what Alistair Begg says in his commentary uh, about, this, about this verse. He talks about God... He says, when Paul preached before Felix and Drusilla, it's in Acts chapter 24, he essentially had three points. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix and Drusilla were in an adulterous relationship, and Paul spoke very boldly to them about the justice of God. He goes on to say, it was, if you like, almost a hallmark of his preaching. At the end of his address in Athens... He said the same thing. God has fixed the day in which he will judge the world. Right. Paul is sort of like a fire and brimstone preacher. The Bible makes it clear that we will not escape detection or conviction or sentence forever. There is going to be a payday. There's going to be a payday. Some of you can remember when you were younger and you could you, you felt like you could do things and you would never experience any consequences. You felt invincible, felt like you could, you could do anything. Maybe some of you were even like that spiritually and felt like you'd get around to following God later. You'd get around to repenting later, following Jesus later, becoming a Christian later. Well, later may never come. The idea that God is too kind ever to condemn sin and that everyone in the end will go to heaven 
does not find a basis in the Bible. Paul's warning in Ephesians 5 is to those who have professed faith in Jesus, we, we call ourselves a Christian, so that they will not pay attention to those who suggest other than what he's teaching them, namely that this day will come, a day that is fixed, a day that will be abs- judgment day, a day that will be absolutely fair, and a day when the judgment rendered will be absolutely final. That judgment day is coming. It will be fair and it will be final. There will be no second chances. We're being warned in God's word. Why wouldn't we turn? Why wouldn't we get serious? Why wouldn't we confess, turn, repent? Ephesians 5, 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, wanting things that aren't yours, covetousness, because of those things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience sobering thoughts. So let me close now with a quote from Charles Spurgeon and then we'll say it one more time together. Not to punish the guilty were to exact the penalty of suffering from the innocent. Think what an injury and injustice would be inflicted upon all the honest men in London, that's where he preached, if the thieves were never punished. It would be making the innocent suffer if you allowed the guilty to escape. God, therefore, not out of arbitrary choice, but from very necessity of rightness, God must punish us for having done wrong. You get the point. We've done wrong. You've done wrong. I've done wrong. We've all done wrong. And therefore, we do big swallow, right? deserve to be punished by God. That makes us squirm. makes us uncomfortable. It gets us ready to hear some kind of good news. Is there another way? I don't want to be punished by God. Who wants to be punished by God? I don't want to be punished by God. I don't want to be alienated from God. I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to experience God's anger, God's wrath. Yes, I know I deserve it. But is there a way out? And the answer is yes, but only through Christ. Okay, question 18. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? Let's say it together. No, every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness and goodness of God and against his righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in his just judgment, both in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would take this truth and use it to push us to you, God, to draw us to you. 
We know that we are sinful. We know that we do not deserve the love that you have given us. But for those of us who call you our Lord and our Savior and our treasure, we draw near to you now in thankfulness, in gratitude, that you have made a way for us out of punishment, a way to be forgiven, a way to be made right and whole, a way to be adopted into your family forever. So thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to live and suffer and die and raised from the dead in our place so that we could be received by you, reconciled to you, at peace with you. Help us this week as we look to memorize this. Plant its truth deep in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.